Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? It's January 21st, 2022, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 455. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and today I'm joined by Patrick Klapik. Hello. Producer, Ricardo Contreras. Yo. And, you know, as we predicted, uh, it's been a quiet start to the year in games, and (laughs) there's not much to talk about, but then, praise be... Based Phil Spencer came oh, through Jesus for us yet again. Christ. Now, the last we heard, Based Phil <laughs> was taking the revelations about a permissive culture of harassment and abuse at Activision Blizzard very seriously and examining every aspect of Microsoft's relationship with Activision. And you know, from a certain point of view, <laughs> They were, because as we learned this week, Microsoft has been working on a nice $69 billion acquisition of the mega publisher. So it turns out that the moral audit Phil implied Microsoft was undertaking was actually more of a standard pre-merger financial audit of Activision's (laughs) position and susceptibility to a takeover. Uh, Patrick, talk us through this deal a little bit. Like, What is Microsoft buying here in terms of properties, and what do they stand to inherit from Activision's myriad culture and labor problems? First of all, before I get into all all that very interesting analysis, I want to point Mm -hmm. out the bravery of Rob Zachney, um, which is that (laughs) This, this story has been written up in a lot of places, right? And there's a lot of ways you can go with the number <clears throat> 68.7. A lot of people chose, you know, not incorrectly to say around 70 billion. Not an accurate. It's like a nice round number. Um, some people chose 68.7. I want to be precise. I want the people to know like where this fits mm-hmm. uh, in, in the math. And uh, Rob, he chose differently. He said... 69 billion. And yes. I just I just I yes. just I just want it yes. out there that I noticed it. <laughs> it was nice that you did that. Um and uh just I just want to go too far past without recognizing uh your brave stance um in setting up the story. Um uh, yeah, Microsoft is this is the largest acquisition of its kind by like tenfold, right? Like I think the 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 the, the I wanted to call it the Starfield acquisition, which it kind of is, which it kind of is. <laughs> uh, but the Bethesda Zenimax um, acquisition was like roughly seven, six, seven billion dollars, and this is something where you just add a zero to it. They Jesus. are purchasing uh, a troubled asset, as they might call it arguably the only reason they're purchasing it could purchase it is because it is a troubled asset, but they are buying uh, a company that uh, was irrelevant a couple of decades ago after like there was Activision was a real prominent player 
you know, early in video gaming's history and then basically was ground into dust by a series of poor decisions, was scooped up by uh, Bobby Kotick, and uh, he was there alongside its its rise uh, to, like, like, real video game prominence in the past 15 years or so. Alongside franchises like Dia- like uh, Call of Duty, um, purchases like Blizzard that bring in, you know, Diablo, Overwatch, World of Warcraft. Um, easy to forget that Activision was uh, also Destiny um, before <laughs> before Bungie um, got themselves out of like another uh, naughty uh, arrangement uh, as that studio is wont to do. Um, it is a company that has not been in. Uh, I would say like the highest of public esteem in terms of the games it's been making for quite a quite a period now, like even long prior to uh, the uh, exposure of the like real toxic underbelly of its workplace culture. Um, one then which uh, Call of Duty was really on the wane until Warzone came along and they were able to really capitalize on the rise of the um, battle royale genre like Warzone, I think. I think, you know, I think inarguably could say like essentially saved Call of Duty as a as a franchise as the single player games have really petered out in terms of cultural relevance, like sales driver. Like, does anyone remember that Vanguard came out a couple of months ago? Like, I don't I don't. Um, uh, And uh, and then alongside that, you have a, a studio like Blizzard, who, again, absent knowledge of what was going on as a workplace is like basically incapable of shipping products. Like the moment you have to call in Rod Ferguson, the person who was brought in to tell Ken Levine, like here, we're going to crack some knuckles. We're going to ship a fucking game. Like that's what I'm here to do. He did that for gears of war. He did it for Bioshock. And when you hire Rod Ferguson, you're bringing in someone to be like, Hey, this game looks like it's not coming out for five to six years. How about two? Uh, and let's, let's, let's turn this into a shippable, uh, product. Um, just a company like in a, a really weird place as it tried to figure out um, how to position itself for the future. And alongside that comes, uh, you know, a report over the last summer um, by the state of California, you know, having uh, one of their uh, divisions, the uh, the California Department of uh, Fair House Employment and Housing, filing a lawsuit against the company following a two-year investigation, um, more or less exposing a horrifying workplace culture and environment in which accusations of harassment, assault, day-to-day shittiness, like just a, an awful place to work. And by by all accounts, um, very little uh, has been done to try and address those issues. And in fact, uh, bolstered by reporting at places like the Wall Street Journal, uh, that rock goes all the way to the top. It, it is not uh, simply a matter of ignorance, but actually active practicing in malice on the part of its its current CEO, Bobby Kotick, um, both participating in that culture, uh, facilitating that culture and ignoring um, the things that would come to light. And so you have all this happening. Um, and then uh, by, by all accounts, there was a follow up piece in in both in both Bloomberg and Wall Street in the Wall Street Journal uh, filling out some of the backstory here, which is that it sounds like uh, Kotick they had a real moment of panic like you know as we were speculating you know on our side like hey you know really feels like this would be an opportunity for the like board of directors the slimy like self-appointed you know codic approved board of directors to just kind of move on from this guy the stock was sliding 
Um, games are getting delayed, like pushed out, like, you know, year, year and a half. You know, maybe this, you know, if if, if the accusations weren't enough, maybe the financial slide is actually what's going to be what what gets them. And, and to some degree, who cares? Um, you know, alongside this, you have uh, people doing uh, work stoppages at Raven Software over how the QA team um, were like unceremoniously uh, laid off as contractors while like a couple of people were brought in full time. A bunch of people were just laid off. There's a uh, a uh, uh, talk of unionization. There's like a formal organizing happening inside and outside of the company. You have uh, people petitioning, taking, you know, essentially striking. You have a, uh, I think at this point, almost $400,000 strike fund uh, that is currently ongoing to help the folks that are, uh, striking at Raven Software, um, and that essentially leads to this opportunity where uh, Microsoft uh, seems to like the the, the back back end reporting is like Microsoft seems to recognize ah shit they're fucked. Um, <laughs> if there was a time to purchase them, and there's probably no one else who could do it, it's us. Uh, they got Phil Spencer on the you know to get on the phone. I was not aware. I, until this moment, I did not realize that Phil Spencer was this hands-on with sort of like the negotiating accounting stuff. Like the reporting has suggested he personally negotiated, you know, the the, the Zenimax acquisition. He personally negotiated this acquisition. He personally negotiated the Minecraft acquisition. Um, I, you know, obviously like a he's good at wearing T-shirts and is really good at PR spin and has done a, I think decent job of like navigating Xbox out of a crisis uh, over the last decade to getting a little more relevant again. But I, I was, I was struck by, I didn't realize how hands-on Spencer was in, in all this stuff. So anyway, like getting, getting to the end of all this is uh, uh, you know, Microsoft essentially offers uh, Activision a pretty reasonable though, not mind blowing deal uh, based on what the company is currently valued at, what the shares are currently valued at, uh, and Activision, after <laughs> seeing if Facebook or EA would be interested in finding absolutely no suitors, um, Microsoft seemed to get what exactly they wanted, which is like, this company needs an out. We're going to give them a little bit of mo- We're going to give the golden parachute that everyone gets, um, and then we're going to acquire an enormous roster of intellectual property and a shitload of studios um, and talent that could be leveraged to probably not do a Call of Duty treadmill uh, ad infinium, um, and so that's where we leave us. Like now, now you know we can get into the antitrust stuff and the regulators. The if nothing was to happen, the deal could close. I think as soon as this summer. I suspect it will take longer and get drawn out, and will still happen, but that we may not know much more until early next year. Um, but uh, that, I think that brings us to this moment, this podcast, this podcast transition. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so to that, I think one of the other. So there was some weird timing around this as well, which is that like literally a couple hours after uh, the covers were lifted on this deal, uh, the head of the Department of Justice's antitrust division, uh, Jonathan Cantor. And, <laughs> yeah, same day, uh, I think. Yes. The head of the uh, I think I think she's the head of the FCC right now. Uh, Lena Khan held a press conference where they discussed the new guidelines they're developing for the enforcement around antitrust and merger approval, namely that we might finally have some again. Hmm. Um, so 
this may actually end up being kind of important around this merger. So let's take a minute to lay some groundwork. Uh, the first thing to say is that just about all of us talking about this issue or probably listening to this podcast are entitled to a lot of cynicism about this stuff because we have only ever seen these ideas defanged or manipulated to favor like corporate giants and huge investment groups. When we grew up during the defanging, right? Like, so we were too young to truly, we lived through the Microsoft Internet Explorer antitrust stuff. But like most of us were like, you know, you know, like 10 young teens, like not actually processing like what was going on as the government, like even the Clinton administration was like, ah, yeah, this is pretty bad, huh? Probably should do something. We about finally that. have to do something about this, uh, right? And so, like that, like all of us have grown up. Like antitrust has not even been a speed bump for companies engaging in like anti-competitive practices or like buying their rivals. Um, we don't like none of us, uh, like in our age bracket, have like ever seen these ideas applied forcefully at all. But there is a history around this where like federal regulation and oversight spent literally decades kind of frustrating the consolidation of industries into monopolies and narrow oligopolies. Uh, And ideally that was an attempt to protect citizens and small businesses along the way. Um, Real quick antitrust is an archaic term. Uh, It's, it's how like we talk about competition law in the U S but like the trusts of the gilded age that needed to be broken up don't exist anymore. Uh, like that is, so it's like a term that existed and came into like common parlance in this one like historical context. But most of the, most of what we're talking about is like regulations around preventing anti-competitive business practices. And uh, that last part is kind of key because mergers like this have to be approved to uh and and satisfy some conditions that the merger itself will not concede an undue amount of market power or uh, create like anti competitive create an anti competitive environment in an industry. Um, the way this has always worked in the past is business kind of gets to spin you a story about like how good the merger is going to be and regulators would be like, yeah, that does sound pretty good. And that's it. So like famously, well, and, and, and notice you're, you're seeing uh, this play out in real time. You see uh, uh Kodak giving very friendly uh, interviews to places like venture beat. You're seeing uh, uh, Spencer who even folks like, I, I think like Gene Park over the Washington post, like, did a good interview with him at the end of the day, Spencer is the king of spin. Um, uh, I will say he's as, he's as personal in, the, in real life as he is like in these, in these calls, even in like non official spaces, like he still <laughs> comes across to that guy, but he's very good at that part. It's so, like, that's part of what's happening here in these interviews is what Rob is, is speaking to is like, how do you start greasing the wheels, addressing these antitrust questions, these monopoly questions before the actual like gears of government, begin moving because that takes that takes more time after these announcements happen. Right. So the the thing is, um, one of the things that so undoubtedly, this is a huge deal. Um, but one of the first like arguments against the FTC raising any flags is all is that, well, you know, even after this deal, um, Microsoft is still just the third largest uh, gaming firm in the world. Um 
So the thing is, that is that is the argument Microsoft are making themselves. Um, I don't feel under an obligation to regurgitate it uh, because I don't think like I'm sure Microsoft wants that standard. I am less convinced that it's relevant because regulators don't necessarily measure mergers by their place within like enormous economic sectors. Regulators can uh, separate like gaming writ large from PC and console retail games. Uh, what is relevant is that even after this merger, there's probably a case to be made that even like games remain a really competitive space, um, like even after an acquisition like this. And I think that's that's probably the strongest case they will they will have to make to get this merger through. But there's a couple other factors, because the thing that has people really excited about this, of course, is, hey, what's this mean for Game Pass? Just imagine is the consolidation. How- it's the it's the same you know, look, I I don't think Disney should be able to buy Fox. Do I want X Men and Fantastic Four in the MCU? I sure do. But like that, you gotta start. You gotta like try and think critically about those two things you're you're saying as you unpack the like fanboy like game fan part. Of like, yeah, you know what? When 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 Phil Spencer in his interview with the Washington Post says like, man, I think we own Hexen now, and I'm like. You do. You know what I like? Hexen and Heretic. Like that is calculated. That is like that is like that is weaponizing your fandom and like love for different games and properties for you to then your brains to start going. Well, I mean, if he's name dropping Hexen, <laughs> like how much bad could this do? So, and, and that's the thing, right? Like right now, uh, like the idea is, well, Game Pass is already awesome. With all the potential Activision stuff like flooding into that system, Game Pass becomes an even more ridiculously good deal for like what you're paying per month. And yes, there's that potential that Microsoft would start uh, resurfacing some of these old franchises and maybe letting some uh, studios and creators that have just been sort of shackled to churning for Call of Duty do some other stuff. Hey, Raven, you made Heretic 2. People... Like Patrick Klupik specifically loved <laughs> Heretic 2. Wouldn't you love to make a Heretic 3 just for him? <laughs> and so, yeah, that's that's where the excitement comes from, right? But at the same time, I think Game Pass is one of those things that probably looks interesting to regulators because it's also a really powerful platform that might in itself already be tipping toward being anti-competitive. And one of the things that can make something anti-competitive is like, if you have access to limitless like pools of capital and your strategy is basically, we are going to absorb massive losses that our competition couldn't possibly sustain until they're dead. And then like, we are sort of the, the last player on the board. That's like definitional, like that, that's the definition of like an anti-competitive practice, right? It has been permitted. So, Sony lost what, 20 billion in valuation as a result of this news, which should be a red flag of like, <laughs> now, you know, that can also be, you know, investors and shareholders are finicky that don't act rationally, but I, yeah. I do think you could like add that to a series of red flags. That is like if a company over a potential sale can lose, um, you know, a fourth of the size of this deal just because it might happen uh, is maybe a, a reason to think, huh? Like, what is this? What does this broadly say about where this industry is trending? And certainly, I think this move also like probably heightens the odds of it trending toward further consolidation, right? Like once a deal like this goes through 
and you already see that there's there's a lot of people sort of arguing that um well surely the writing is in the wall for operations the scale of EA or Ubisoft right mm. companies that or ca- are like, Capcom like Capcom only three and a half billion like that's just easy pickup yeah uh, and you'd argue like to compete um, with what Microsoft is building there's going to be firms that like have to start contemplating uh, acquisitions like that but the but the idea that like if Game Pass is operating at a loss and it's being bolstered by uh, like the the subscription is basically being bolstered by just the buckets of money that Microsoft can inject uh, from other lines of business. That in itself might be a problem in a way it didn't used to be. Uh, like companies like Uber got away with a lot because like uh, regulators did look the other way on a lot of the stuff about like letting a company come into a space connected to like venture capital money. And just grind little t- like taxi firms into the ground <laughs> that like are op- operating on a daily like profit and loss basis. Well, it's, um, it's, I think it's also the matter of like the culture and the climate and the attitude toward the thing that it's involved, right? Like who likes taxis, right? And it's like, right. oh, I can order one from my phone. That sounds great. Why would we stand in the way of that? Um, and and I think that's like th- that's where like the, the weird sort of like culture intersection that is interesting here. Where like I don't think. Even a more left-leaning, aggressive FTC is going to care that much about the entertainment industry consolidation. I disagree with that like notion. I think they should care. But because this is coming from Microsoft, I think like that's going to invite an extra layer of scrutiny that it wouldn't if, – if Netflix had decided to buy Activision, like I don't know that – there's a whole lot of hand wringing going going right. on about about that, but because it's Microsoft, it's their own history. It's the fact that the FTC is now saying uh, we need to take this more seriously. E- even if you ultimately fall on the the side of this is probably okay and isn't like significantly tipping the balance of power, you have to run it through the ringer, or you should run it through the ringer, if only to show that you're doing the work and that other firms should be thinking twice about you know to how much scrutiny do you want to go through to get this. And I mean, crucially, um, we're talking about like it being Microsoft and like Xbox and Game Pass as being examples of like platform capitalism. Uh, Lena Khan sort of made her name and rose to prominence on the backs of an analysis she conducted conducted of the uh, like FTC's treatment of Amazon. Uh, And it was like it is wild how important and influential uh, this thing she wrote for the Yale uh, Law Journal ends up being, uh, Amazon's antitrust paradox. It's a surprisingly accessible read. Um, but her entire like her entire framework there is that the consumer welfare standard and sort of the framework that was applied to uh, like protecting competition didn't really adapt well to the like platform capitalism. Uh, like models being adopted by Amazon and would require a rethink. And so like specifically the people who are sort of running the show right now are very hip to the challenges posed by things like Microsoft, by the various services and platforms it can run. Uh, And so like, I think that you'd also argue that it's kind of bad timing too, because if there were like, if you wanted to start like running test cases, to see how you're going to apply this, this one might also be of interest to regulators. My suspicion is like, I am like, you know, I open this by saying we have right to be cynical. I find it hard not to be cynical that when push comes to shove, uh, deals still go through. Uh, people who've worked in antitrust around agriculture 
have sort of found that the Biden administration talked a good game. Um, but the USDA, which is led by a really pro big ag uh, secretary, uh, Tom Vilsack, ultimately, they don't give a shit what's happening to smaller agriculture op- operations. They are continuing to sort of protect and promote the interests of uh, like major uh, ag firms. That could still happen here. Um, but it certainly indicates that like both DOJ and, and the FTC are a little more savvy about how the tech giants that we deal with today gained all their market power. And they might be looking to apply a more aggressive standard moving forward. And just to give you a quick, if you haven't, dig up uh, a series an antitrust Planet Money did uh, like a couple years ago, as I think is Lena Khan was coming to prominence. Um, but basically, they sort of covered the entire history from the breakup of Standard Oil through to Amazon. Really good series that explains a lot of this stuff. But one of my favorite details was that in the 60s, they were so <laughs> they were so pro-competition that they started preventing small local mergers on the grounds of being anti-competitive. Like as recently as 1966, Vaughn's Grocery uh, in L.A. wanted to merge with another grocery chain. And I think it went to the Supreme Court and they swooped <laughs> in and said, no, nah, that's anti-competitive because after this merger you'd have 7.5% of the Los Angeles area <laughs> grocery market. Like in the 60s and 70s, like the treatment of this stuff bordered on fanatical in places, which probably helped open the door for Robert Bork's like toothless, like consumer welfare standard, uh, which was basically that, hey, as long as prices don't go up, the government has no grounds to complain about what's going to happen. Um, but so like there's there's this other model that like just predates us where you had <laughs> you had the government sort of presuming that if two companies were proposing a merger, they were up to no good and they would just sort of <laughs> knock your merger over. Mm. Um, <laughs> and so like by that standard, I suspect this deal will be dead in the water. Right. Mm. They, might not have, they might not have even done it. Right. Like right. This, if, if that was the presumption uh, that level of scrutiny on that scale of acquisition, this wouldn't have gone. They would have waited until Activision went under, right? Like you would, you, you know, that they, they, Activision would be selling individual pieces, right? Like, okay, fine, you can't buy Activision Blizzard. Do you want to buy Blizzard? <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like that. Th- those are the sort of conversations that would have happened as re- in, in in that kind of environment. But I think you see, you know, Activision, you know, Microsoft publicly projecting like, hey, this isn't going to close for like a year plus, you know, like that, all, all of that seems to anticipate and invite that like, Hey, this is going to get run through the ringer. We still anticipate it's going to happen, but that there at least is going to be some sort of comb that, that goes through it. But if it's, but if it's but the fact that it even is proposed at the scale that it was, you know, even if it is an undervaluation of like where Activision might've wanted to sell in a, in a different environment, the fact that it's even being proposed at all suggests that they expect it will happen. And that itself is an indictment of the process uh, as it currently exists. Well, it's it's interesting that um, there was some indication that, like, yeah, Kodak was desperate to sell, not to Microsoft, though. He wanted, he wanted to, like, maybe someone else to come in, right? Um, the, the, the other thing is Microsoft is on the hook for a $3 billion fee if the deal falls apart for any reason. Uh, so, like, there which are... I guess is law, which is, I guess, my, my re, uh, what I read was, like, that's 
significantly larger than how this usually like it's usually like it's a, a very a large billion. insurance policy. Um, <laughs> so that that's quite yeah. a bit more than than which I guess would project some measure of of confidence that it's going to happen. Uh, or or the, or less confidence on Activision's part, where like Microsoft's sure. like, we got this. I'm confident <laughs> of it, and Activision is like, we are less sure. So let's say three billion. Uh, so I think that, I think there's cause to like certainly think that this deal is going to enter a like very different regulatory environment than existed just a year ago. Like, um, yeah, the Disney Fox merger is kind of an example of like, would that go through today? Increasing evidence that might not have, right? That like that, or or it would have come with like the caveats, right? Like there would have been carve outs, like there would have been cons- like I, th- I think like there are worlds in which like there are, there are gradations of how something like this plays out. Where may- maybe it is like the acquisition still goes through, like Disney is able to claw you know their Marvel properties back, but hey, you can't keep Fox Search. You know what I mean? Like well, there are, there are ways the, that the- like. Things the are going example out. right now is probably like under the old regime, the carve outs were often laughable, right? Like the T-Mobile Sprint merger, which was clearly like we're going to go from four major wireless carriers to three. And that's not anti-competitive. <laughs> um, well, don't worry. You're going to have a fourth major wireless carrier dish network. Like that was their solution <laughs> was like, yeah, you're losing T-Mobile. Uh, but Dish Network will be a perfectly viable carrier, even though there's no history of what that organization like doing that shit. If I remember that part of that, one of the public arguments I heard in favor of like why you should allow that merger to occur was because, well, AT&T and Verizon are too big. Unless these two team up, they're not big enough to take on the other carriers. It's like, well, that's not then that means we fucked up before. That's not an argument to let yeah. the consolidation continue. It's like, well, we've got two kaiju um, <laughs> and they're fighting, you know, let them fight, I guess. But it turns out they're holding hands uh, and, and doing things together. We get all these other kaiju together and we stack them on top of one another. We can make our own one to fight them. It's like, no, you're just admitting that you fucked up already. And the solution to that is to let the bad thing keep happening and hope it works out differently. Well, and I think that's, and I think the last point I'll make here too is I think uh, genuinely, I think one of the things that may have changed the environment around this a little bit is that we're in the middle of this moment where it's very clear that it's, it's, it's clear in some sectors that, corporate consolidation has led to a lot of the inflation we're seeing that like every single cost that companies are like being are confronting right now, they're able to seamlessly pass on to customers. Mm-hmm. They're also, um, I think Khan was on uh, C-SPAN the other day, sort of arguing that inflation is also really good cover for companies just to raise prices, uh, be like, <laughs> you know, price of a brick went up. Sorry. Uh, and, then the, and then the P and then the people doing, you know, the other like, Oh, well, you're raising your price. Well, I'm like, gee, yeah, inflation is bad for us as well. Um, so, yeah, I guess we're up, up go up 25 well, and cents. And that's the other thing is like in all these places where you've seen like monopolies haven't formed, but instead you have a few firms with like massive amounts of market power. They clearly signal to each other and they do well, not. That's, they, that's been like one business. of the huge criticisms of like the, the airline markets, mm-hmm. right? Like when you like, hey, we're going to take the heat. We're going to charge people to put a bag on um, and like then all of a sudden five years later, everyone's done it. And it's like, sure, <laughs> it's not, you know, they didn't all get in a, a room together and, and and explain that's how they were going to 
explicitly raise prices on everybody. But like if everyone does it, you know, slowly over time, you're able to diffuse well, the government's ability to scrutinize it, and uh, I think that, especially if they're not paying attention. I think that goes to like, so Game Pass is a really good deal right now. Like going back to like, uh, what's Microsoft doing here? Like, is is he truly based, Phil, just bringing all the games and franchises to the people for a low monthly fee? Um, and I think you have to look at it as like, what could happen in 10 years? And maybe under different leadership, right? Like people who are, I think, I think like if you scratch Phil Spencer, you still find like a games person underneath yeah, that surface. I, do, I like, do think, I like, I genuinely do think he cares. That doesn't, it's possible that he cares, does want to do right by X, Y, and Z, and can also be participating in things on a scale that should be considered dangerous and require scrutiny. Well, and companies often end up passing on like huge lines of business to people who don't give a shit about the product, right. who are basically right. just like finance people where every product is basically a commodity to get more money. And everything like everything should be regarded as like a financial tool or instrument uh, to like realize greater returns. So I think like you have to look at so what might microsoft do with like a massive like with a massive stable of games uh all under their like xbox game pass uh brand and i think you run the clock forward in 10 years um there's certainly reason to be concerned that like the deal will be less good that the offerings found there might not be as robust because let's be real uh i think one of the reasons the game pass has been so cool is that Game Pass is getting a lot of buy-in and cooperation from developers who are finding it impossible to compete with the mega franchises at the top of the games industry and then the extreme, extremely low barrier to entry at the bottom, right? Like the, the middle of the game sector is... Becoming- How do you get noticed, right? Yeah. And so in, in some ways, Game Pass has one of the most lucrative places to be in video games 10, 15 years ago was Steam's front page, right? You get there, you're golden, baby. Like your game is like, you're rich. Your game's going to sell well. People are going to buy it. And then Steam opened the floodgates in various ways and for reasons good and bad. And that disappeared. Now it's, now it's much more difficult. You're, you know, to, to get, to just get noticed. And I think in some ways you can look at game pass, like in its current state as sort of like a front page, like you get in Mm. there, you have a deal with Microsoft that maybe covers some of your, um, you know, development budget, but it's also awareness. We will be in a manageable queue in which it's not a giant storefront full of tens of thousands, millions of things. It is a smaller curated selection of things in which we know there are going to be eyeballs and people are going to have a much lower barrier to, I'm going to try this thing. And like, that just doesn't exist in many places right now it is very difficult to get noticed and um like the the ways of gaining attention are far less simple than they used to be of make game hire pr person you know get noticed game is good hit game you know like it's just so much more complicated these days and game pass is just like one of those avenues that at least ensures what i think 25 million is the number on game pass right now um 25 million people who i have to imagine people using game pass are like pretty active like i'd be i i would my guess is that like that the number of active game pass users is extraordinarily high um compared to other services uh that's a really attractive offer especially for the right in combination with the rising budgets of even the smallest of games (laughs) but the flip side is that is it also conditioning gamers to not buy games 
right. like there's concern around that. Like what's the conversion rate on a game that goes to Game Pass? And there's also like in 10 years, you have to contemplate the possibility that Game Pass is so popular, especially because it exists on two platforms that Microsoft they don't own the PC and like PC diehards would be like, absolutely not. It's an open platform, but like Microsoft by virtue of running the fucking operating system occupies a really nice position on PC where they can like put things in front of you in a way that other companies can't, but you you'd sort of see in like 10 years that like the presence of game pass has distorted the economics of like retail game sales uh, in ways that like might be of some concern, both in terms of like what choices are available to uh, consumers and then just in terms of like how viable it is to make games as a business. Um, and then I think the other thing you have to look out for is if it turns into a situation where Microsoft has a great deal of control over both sides of this, where they're dictating the price of licensing games for Game Pass and they're dictating the price to consumers uh, as to what Game, pa- Game Pass costs. Again, tremendous amount of market power that might be of some concern, right? Like, do people still feel good about their Netflix sub at this point? Doesn't seem like it. They just announced a, a rate hike again. Um, but you like, know what? I, I I paid. I upgraded that thing to 4K and then I've forgotten about it for three months. So you got me. Also, my daughter watches that Baby Shark thing on Netflix Kids three times a day. What do you mean? So, oh, God. What? Uh... Isn't what, it just a video shark thing? No, oh my god, Rob. Babe, I mean, there's no reason for you to know this, but like Baby Shark and Pink Fong, which that'll make sense to all the people that know what I, that know what I'm talking about, uh, is a whole industrial complex. Like it is, it is. There is a Pink Fong. Pink Fong is the this little pink little fox that is the was the corporate branding of the company that did the Baby Shark song but has now become like their mascot and is part of the Ping Fong extended universe. And oh, no, buddy. I absolutely it's, thought you said Bing Bong, which is a very Ping different Fong. thing. Yeah, very different. <laughs> no, Ping Fong, uh, which is how the the mascot introduces itself um, and, and and the songs. Um, uh, yeah, I'm stuck. You know, I'm yeah. I mean, Netflix has put a they they, they pay lots of money for uh, adult shows, but you would be you want to see like shows updated like twice a day, like go to the kids section. Like there is so much money in there, in their kids stuff. It's, it's wild. Anyway, I don't know what point I interrupted. I just all of a sudden had to say something. No, you were just saying that you, uh, that, that you are a pay pig for Netflix. I, um, yes, yes. Jesus. That Disney plus. Sorry. That's just part of, that's just, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> my, uh, uh, <laughs> help me my fa- my family is uh, what's the fucking uh uh, uh drill candles, yeah. candles. Um, <laughs> well so i scrapped i scrapped netflix um like i i was like i can't I'm well people sorry, should I'm people not. should people like th- everything else i either share a login or i only like i signed up for showtime paid my eight dollars Watched Yellow Jackets, and you know what I did? Immediately canceled showtime <laughs> because like i got to watch a whole season of a show loved it got way more than eight dollars out of it and it's like all right when yellow jacket season two happens a year from now you know what i'll do hopefully borrow a login but also maybe pay eight dollars to watch to watch another month of of yellow jackets yeah so like i i think like right now the the thing the lens through which i view game pass is like Mm -hmm. it is not being something built or having more things added to it as an act of corporate largesse you have to think about like 
what might a greedy uh, company with a history of abusing its position uh, for uh, for anti-competitive practices, which it does like this is part of Microsoft's DNA, right? It's like Microsoft might as well have a big like no longer under federal dissent decree, uh, consent decree, uh, like banner. That's all these companies, though, right? Like that is the natural ascent of a large corporation is to, uh, you know, I was reading an, uh, an analysis of this deal. And, you know, one thing sometimes people point to is like, well, you know, I mean, Microsoft could have stomped out Google and they didn't. It's like, well, you know why they didn't? Because they were still fucking scared shitless that if they did anything to interfere with a company like Google, which they absolutely could have stomped out if they wanted to or acquired and just like made part of the Microsoft empire, they didn't because they were worried that the government would come knocking again. And like, that's what you, those are, those are the, the ripple effects you get by proper enforcement and, and really just scare tactics is that then, you know, it's not about convincing corporations to act appropriately. It's about making them too scared uh, to do it. Um, and you do that through proper, uh, stricter, more stringent regulation. Um, and then you get, you know, <laughs> Google is now bad, but they were good for a time, right? Like they sat, sat along web crawler and whatever. And like the, the notion is that you're going to, you're not going to stop big corporations from being bad, but you can let smaller companies flourish and be competitive and allow themselves the dream of being the big shitty corporation. The problem now is like, it's hard to imagine uh, like a Google emerging even now um, because that came out of the shadow of the nineties antitrust. And we don't even have that shadow right now. You would have a Google, Amazon and Microsoft trifecta, <laughs> yeah. like crushing any sort of opposition. Uh, you know, There was can- a, uh, there was a line that really kind of – it was a good line by Spencer. I, I don't have it right in front of me, but the, but the paraphrase was, you know, video games is really competitive. And the evidence that it's competitive is you have companies like Facebook, you know, slash Meta, Amazon, Netflix, Apple. They're interested in video games. They want to make video games. But they're tech companies. Like, do you want them making your video games? Microsoft, now granted, 25 years ago, we weren't into video games and we were one of these people, but now we are (laughs) video games. If you wanted anyone to acquire Activision Blizzard, because it was going to happen, you want it to be us, Papa Microsoft. I love Hexen, Patrick. And there's something very funny. And that's a about really the- insidious fucking pitch. Like, like, you know, that's one that like I could sit here and be like, he's not wrong. Um, but at the that's also there's a real I, I don't you know, once you sit with it, it feels it doesn't feel good. Even it can have a point and also be like well, in the whole like at the same time. They'd only be the third largest games company. Yeah, except they're Microsoft. They're not a games company, right? idiot. Mm-hmm. Like that's the area. The whole like this. Oh, we're just a small little baby games company that owns fucking Windows and Office <laughs> yeah. and a ton of like server infrastructure and like business IT services. A seventy billion like, dollar acquisition is a, a. I think I saw two to th- two to three percent of their entire valuation, which yeah. is like a three trillion dollar company. Jesus um, Christ! So. You know, you know, I might begin the numbers. I, I'm making the evaluation, but like it's 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 a, it's not quite a rounding error, but it's not much bigger. 
Well, and and so the the other thing is like I think where this sort of ties back into labor as well is that like the the larger a firm gets, uh, the more control they have over prices. Regardless, uh, the less competition they face, the more they can feel free to reduce capacity. Um, and that means things like forcing people to do more work uh, for less. It also means things like uh, just eliminating a lot of the offerings you traditionally uh, sort of offer as products uh, because you no longer need to compete with as many people. Um, and I'm sort of like reminded of the fact that like, you know, brought up Vons a little bit earlier. So in the sixties, you know, keeping the foot firmly planted on the throat of these little like local regional chains that are like, we want to like merge and like, uh, and get a little more like local market power. And I was like, what, like, well, what's Vons done lately? And I just remembered, oh, yeah, that's right. They fired all their union workforce uh, in the last year because Vons is huge now. Like like Vons like, has been sort of liberated from that framework. They've become an enormous uh, like grocery chain in California. And like with the help of uh, Prop 22, they're able to sort of just dictate at will new terms of employment. And I think this is the other this is the other like thing to sort of look out for is the fact that we we do know for a fact that uh you know for ages there was the like was the blizzard tax for blizzard being such a prestigious company to work for that people would like accept far less in terms of pay and benefits uh just in order to like work at Willy Wonka's uh like candy factory <laughs> And if 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 Willy Wonka was going to be mean to you or harass you routinely, well, actually, Willy Wonka was mean. That's yeah. the other thing is mm-hmm. Willy Wonka mm-hmm. should have had like regulators up his ass the entire time. Um, Kids died on that I mean, tour. Wi- Willy Wonka, by all accounts, like enslaved a population. <laughs> yeah, no, no jail for Willy Wonka. Uh, to be clear, um, but I, I think like it gets even more. It gets even tougher now when like so many of the studios that someone could like move laterally to now ultimately answer to the same company like that would also like long term maybe distort the the marketplace uh, and probably does make it more of a priority that <laughs> it would like I, I like Patrick, I, I'm curious your take. I think your view was gut level. This probably makes the road to effective union representation at uh, the currently Activision Blizzard King Studios harder. Yeah. Um, and I'm, uh, yeah. I'm inclined to agree. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Bobby was going to get the golden parachute no matter what. Like, there was not, there was not, the, the deck was, he had a board of directors that <laughs> they all like him, have worked with him. Like, he was never going to get, it was always a, a, a far-fetched, I think, or or unlikely that he was going to get pushed out um and so he was always going to get some sort of money one way or another if he was going to leave and so if you're looking for silver linings in all of this uh it's that you know hopefully like he you know he he's made all the private and public signals are that he will be gone when this deal closes and he will take his money and go buy his mega yacht and 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 do what he and probably start an esports organization um and that's good. That is, you know, it's that that is a good. He should he should not be in charge of that company. He should not be leading whatever it does into the future. And hopefully if uh, that is more than just personal satisfaction to the people he has made miserable at the company he has operated 
um, for, you know, the last 20 years or so. Um, but, you know, I, yeah, like I, I had expressed, I've expressed pessimism that uh, it's, I think this would naturally, and I think this is, this is a natural reaction if you work at that company, that this is going to sort of like let out some of the, the oxygen in the balloon. Like, like, like this is going to like release some of the tension and that the notion that like we, we all need to like then charge around unionization uh, and be organizing is going to feel less necessary um, because, well, maybe things will be better over there. And things probably will be better because it sounds like it couldn't have been worse. Um, and I haven't done all the reporting on like how Microsoft treats its individual studios. But um, so I can't say it's going to be better, but I do think it's probably fairly confident that I say it, it's not going to be worse. And so if this can be a fresh start for their culture, as, as an organization, like that's, that's good. Um, but, uh, I would hope or not, I would, I do hope that they continue to do that sort of organizing because if, uh, and, and it calls for accountability, if that does not result in a union, that was always sort of a long shot anyway, but the idea of giving that up right as you're being handed over to a bigger company that would be able to, that could turn the screws even harder than the last one. If they, if they chose to, um, I hope they continue organizing. I hope they continue trying to uh, group together in whatever form that takes um, because that is useful to them. That is useful to the industry. And like that comes alongside uh, – there was the uh, – I guess to bring this to a close, uh, I published uh, two blogs on, on the site today uh, that were uh, sort of uh, little pieces extracted from the Game Developers Conference, which is uh, coming back in person slash virtual next month in San Francisco or in March in San Francisco. Um, they do as part of the GDC, they do like a survey of like several thousand industry uh, professionals to try and get a snapshot of what people are thinking. And it was like on one hand developers think crypto sucks shit, which is good, but also not super surprising. Um, and, and the other is that in the 10 years they've been asking the question about unionization, um, the support to unionize is an all-time high of 55%. Um, only 18% believe that unionization will actually happen, which I don't think is like an unreasonable, like if you're pragmatically answering, like I would probably fall on that 18%, but I would also fall on the 55% that thinks that it should. Um, and I think if you're taking as uh, sort of as dispiriting as a lot of this can be, especially if you were hopeful that as bad as things were at Activision, that maybe this was a catalyst for like meaningful change that could ripple out to the rest of the industry. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't result in a union at that studio or those studios, but boy, if you think back even just two years ago, the notion that we are now at a place where you have active members of studios striking, publicly organizing, raising hundreds of thousands of dollars for a strike fund. um, That is change. Like it's all on the path to, I don't know that it's all fixed, but I, I do take those as really encouraging signs. And um, hopefully those people who stay and uh, move on to Microsoft whenever that closes are able to to keep that fire lit um, when they when they make, make it over there as well. I think one thing is, in, in a way, I understand where the hope that things will be better comes from. And, and, and I think to your point, it, like... You know, it probably will be right. Like there's a lot of people who really enjoy working at big, boring companies with generous packages and uh, like a like decent um, like workplace conduct rules and enforcement. Right. And a decent culture. Um, I don't know, by the way, I, I don't know 
like Microsoft's a huge company. I don't know right. like what it's like to work there. Like I, I know enough people at EA that I'm like, that's the that, when I think of like people who like working at kind of boring, shambolic companies that have like good pay and decent benefits. EA is like right there at the top of the list <laughs> where it's like, uh, are you are you passionate about everything you do? No. Uh is it fine? <laughs> and am I well am I well taken care of? Yeah, it ain't bad. Um but I think the you know even if you were to say like the people at Activision and Kodak have been like model citizens right and like run a a really uh like like ethical compassionate company Kodak stands to walk away with the from this with like two hundred ninety three billion uh <sighs> from sorry two hundred ninety three million sorry sorry two hundred ninety three million uh from from this deal going through. And the thing that gets like <laughs> you you need a union to protect yourself from all these like abuses, yes. But also I feel like you need a union to stop like having your shit stolen so like nakedly in public, right? By like the people who run these companies. Like the amount of like excess value created by the people who worked on Activision games across these last decades is incalculable for for these folks and they are never going to see that right like these are all folks who are going to be going like approaching retirement or something with the same concerns and worries that you know anyone will um meanwhile like the people who basically dictated what rates were and what benefits were uh they are all going to be able to exit this industry um with robber baron fortunes uh because the wealth didn't need to be shared um, and so like, even if, even if Microsoft brings a culture, cultural house, house cleaning, uh, to Activision, I, I, it does not, it does not change the fact that, um, as a rule, the people who build these fortunes for like the managerial class and, and the owner and the ownership class don't ever see a payday from it. Um, and I think this acquisition kind of puts a period on that where the arch villain of Activision is probably going to walk away with the bags of cash. Yeah. Um, and nothing but like a bad reputation to follow him around, but the, yeah, <laughs> the, but a bad, the $300 a bad million dollars will be, uh, will be, a uh, will be quite the comfort. <laughs> nice. Bit, you know, like bad reputation from us. Like what he has yeah. shit about, uh, you know what I mean? Like the pe- <laughs> his the, peers the, the, will the, regard him as enormously successful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and with that, we will take a quick break and then we'll get back to talking about, uh, well, just the games and less the games industry. I think at that point, <laughs> be right back. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, 
yahoofinance.com. And we're back. Uh, so, Patrick, you have been t- playing a game that I've seen some people posting about Nobody Saves the World, uh, which feels apropos, I suppose. But Patrick, <laughs> what, what is it? What is it as a game as opposed to an epitaph for our times? Um, so I actually talked about this briefly when uh, Microsoft did their last like demo showcase uh, for a bunch of independent uh, games. Uh, so Nobody Saves the World is... Uh, the new game from uh, Drinkbox Studios, the folks who did Guacamelee, uh, which were uh, like really stylized uh, uh, Metroidvania style games. I really liked the first one. Didn't really care for the second one, um, but in, in general have liked what that studio has put out. And uh, Nobody Saves the World is a top-down action game in which the kind of, you, you get plopped into a world where uh, you are this like kind of bland looking nobody um, and you stumble upon a wizard apprentice who is a complete prick uh, and you just he's wondering why like this main wizard has disappeared right as the world is like being plunged into darkness and there are monsters everywhere and you find like this uh, like uh, uh, wand that allows you to take the forms of different things and so this is a game in which you are Constantly switching between different forms that allow you to turn into everything from a rat to a ho- I'm trying to think what I've got. A rat, a horse, um, an archer, a soldier, a uh, slug, and what's the one I just uh, unlocked was a um, – not a mermaid. It's kind of like a mermaid. I think it might be listed as a mermaid, but a very terrifying – Looking more like a siren, I guess, but possibly, um, but with uh, an aquatic uh, creature, um, but with the the uh, the teeth of Baraka from Mortal Kombat is, I guess, <laughs> what I would describe the aesthetic. Right. Um, and you can at any time switch between any of these uh, creatures, uh, these like forms as you unlock them. They all have wildly different abilities. Um, so it goes from the. The rat, which is the one that you sort of like start with the first form, um, it has this poison attack. And so it can like kind of like do these like quick little bites um, that uh, build up a poison uh, sort of, uh, uh, you know, hit for the for the enemies you're attacking. And then it also can do like a big chomp, which like a consume. And if that takes out if that kills an enemy, then you consume like a portion of their health as a part of it. Um, but then you can also. Uh, you know, switch to the soldier who's just the big, you know, sort of tanky type. And like, he can do the big sweeping attacks, but he's very slow moving. Like he can't really get around. Um, And so maybe what you're going to want to do is like, you'll come into a fight. You see like seven enemies in front of you. You switch to the slug. The slug uh, leaves a trail behind itself. And that uh, any enemy that walks over that trail immediately gets hit with a slow attribute. Um, And so uh, you might use one of the upgraded elements you've gotten for the snail that like leaves a huge trail behind and you also can speed really fast. And so you'll kind of go around the room so that wherever those enemies go, because they're constantly kind of getting kited to you, they're okay, well, they're going to get hit with slow. Then I'm going to switch over to my archer who uh, has uh, poison arrows and also a rapid fire arrow attack. And as those all those do, all those enemies get slowed down because of the uh, slime trail I left behind, I'm just going to pummel them uh, with uh, these arrows and you're balancing that between 
like these fancier attacks require mana. Well, certain certain uh, forms are better at acquiring mana faster than others. So like, yeah, the tank dude, uh, he's strong but slow, but maybe you want to use all your fast uh, uh, forms, but you've run out of magic. And so you switch over to the soldier dude, get a couple of wax in, your magic back up to, to top form, immediately switch back over to the, uh, you know, different creature that you're, you're playing in. And on top of all of that uh, is there are quests related to the abilities of each of these forms. Um, so, and it, it is, sometimes it's as simple as do the attack that you have X amount of times. And when you complete that, you'll get XP for your base level nobody character who can't really do very much, but that means like your general health goes up, your um, your magic points go up, your base like strength and magic defense stats go up. Um, but uh, you're also unlocking uh, new abilities for the specific form that you're in. So, you know, if the archer is doing, has uh, poison, it's like, well, if you poison 50 enemies, you complete that, then you kind of like move along the skill tree of that specific um, form. Um, and so you're kind of bouncing between all these different things. And also as you go through the skill tree of an individual form, uh, eventually you unlock a form beyond that. So there's like a skill tree for the forms <laughs> and then there is a character tree that is connected to to that. So you like you, if it's like, hey, I see that like mermaid. I think that'd be a really cool like form to play around with. Well, I've got to make sure I spend time with this specific other form. And like, it's a game that is almost entirely about a grind. But the way that grind has been conceptualized and implemented is unbelievably satisfying <laughs> uh, to interact with. Um, it, it is a game that understands. One of the things that I, I you know, I, I talk about constantly um, that I like about games is when they they force me out of existing habits and like, hey, play differently. We'd really like it if you stopped playing. <laughs> this one way has become very optimal for you. We're going to stop you from doing that. And this game does that both from, hey, isn't it cool when the bars fill up? Well, you want to see these bars fill up. Well, you got to do, you've got to play this character in a theoretically suboptimal way. Um, or using a different, uh, a unique strategy. Like the soldier, for instance, one of their uh, skill tree upgrades like really only happens when you let their health get below a certain amount. So you need to get hit and then engage in combat so that you'll get credit for those attacks and those kills so you can fill up that specific quest. And uh, that is like, goes alongside all these other systems. Like eventually you start interacting with enemies that only react, only have certain weaknesses where it's like, okay, you're going to have to use poison to do any damage. Hey, you're going to have to use sharp or blunt to do any damage. Um, and it's like all that stuff just combines into uh, just a really satisfying action game that has like a fun, goofy, like witty universe, um, like really cool um you know, uh, art, you know, 2d art style. Uh, I'm just finding like after having finished Halo infinite, a game that towards the end kind of became both a grind and was extremely difficult in a way that I was a little shocked uh, by in a, in a pleasant way. Um, having this, which is like, Hey, I'm kind of a pushover, but like a really enjoyable, like pushover is <laughs> kind of exactly what I was looking for before we get, Elden Ring and Dying Light 2 like all these just like big ass like games that are gonna you know challenge you know me from from their mechanics like nobody saves and the world from their literary content well, like, hey look if there are 30 what is the book that they Anna Karenina to? yeah mm-hmm. 
Stop it. What? No, it's working. Item descriptions. It, gets every, it gets everyone to talk. It gets everybody know, to talk about it. Um, <clears throat> is that, was that, that's Nabokov's largest, right? I feel like I saw, uh, I, this was in a crossword recently and I'm, I'm dying. <laughs> no, he's, I, I think it's, uh, but it's, it's Tolstoy's, isn't it? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, I like. I think that is the longest one. By the way, I think famously the one with pacing problems. Like you're know, like <laughs> ah, the flawed masterpiece. Uh, yeah. Um, they they've really leaned into the like say something really obnoxious about their game and like get everyone to be like ah, I can't with these fucking people. I don't. I don't think they would have done the. Uh, how many lines of how many how many words are in our game if people hadn't responded so strongly to it will take you 5,000 hours or whatever it is to like fully beat dying like I think they looked at that and kudos to the social person like you made the right call you are not losing sales through this you're just negative getting engagement free PR. still engagement yes yes yeah uh, and there are people who are getting the message ooh game big yes and there are, and there are those about people it, but game there big. are there are lots of those there are there i I, <laughs> I am not one of them i think it's a bad trend in video games but there are as i i have said on this podcast before like i have a friend who like game big i cool that's the game i'll play for the next nine months and yeah. uh those people, slash those people two exist. to five years yeah i know yes. people who have like yes. been playing skyrim since it came out and that's it uh <laughs> let's just be glad they didn't say war and peace which is almost double the size of anna karenina Apparently, didn't know. Didn't we have realize to that also was com- bigger. <laughs> Kato, Kato. Yeah, they have also committed to uh, uh, giving Dying Light two five years of DLC. So I think oh actually what God. we might be expecting in the future is like social person at at at, um, at that studio at Techland. Like, what if you were to put make a chart that said <laughs> over the course of this five years, here are the books that we expect <gasps> to surpass over time Jesus with all of the Christ. sweet, sweet content that we're going to be adding to the game as part of our five year commitment to to Dying Light. Yeah, I'm just I, I, I am now thinking about like. But uh, but also, way to call attention to all the other things you could be doing with that time. <laughs> like reading Anna Karenina. <laughs> well, I mean, like, let's not go crazy here. Um, but, like, you could definitely well, watch here's the, the Bandarchuk War and Peace, huh? That sounds pretty cool. That's, yeah. like, three two-hour movies. Uh, That's just text, though, right? Which you add, you know... You add the gameplay part of it, like that's not gonna be most of those five hundred hours, technically even. So right, Anna Karenina doesn't. You could probably read Anna Karenina like four times by the time you played that game. Someone should make the should make the Anna Karenina that's like it's like visual novel presentation, but in between chapters you play a railway simulator. <laughs> that's to unlock to unlock more of the story. Train. You gotta gotta make that train get to yep. that station. <laughs> you can't. Ain't nobody getting crushed by a train until you've used the custom train building interface <laughs> to create your own locomotives. Uh, anyway, uh, Kato, um, you said that you had a fun little experience in Valorant. Oh yeah, I wanted to give a quick shout out to a. Uh, uh, a, f- a, a person who uh, says they're a Waypoint Plus subscriber, so thanks a lot. I forgot their username, actually. 
Uh, but it was very funny because my username in Valorant is just Kato, uh, and they in chat like within the first couple seconds of the game put into all chat a Kato appears question mark and I was like <laughs> well yeah <laughs> and they're like okay wait prove it because I have seen randomly uh the just the name Kato as a popular nickname in Spanish speaking and por- por- mm-hmm. a bunch of Portuguese people use it actually I've found uh and so the real funny part for me was like what can I say that a random person might not say, but someone who, you know, listened to the podcast would remember. So it ended up being, uh, I main Gengar in Pokemon Unite because nobody plays Gengar in Pokemon Unite. It's the least popular, one of the least popular characters, but that is my character. And they're like, ah, yes, that's you. That's, that's the Kato I know. Um, uh, but we had a really great match and it was like very close. Um, uh, if y'all want to see though, I I did the, some cool ass shit. You want to see some cool shit in in Valorant? Did you save your dubs? I did. I mean, I didn't because I wasn't recording, but a friend of mine did. So it, it is saved for posterity. Here's the here's the link. Copy this link. Are we gonna um, know what happens here? I think I you, mean, it's, the, it's, the important uh, thing to understand is that at, at the beginning, uh, you know, there's four. It's four v four, and by the end of this match, it's me versus three other people. Right. Very quickly, most of my team dies here as we're trying to retake this site. All right. Is this going to be your POV? Is it going to be uh, this like is shifting the spectator while you the, clutch the, it the for the first couple seconds? It's somebody else, and then it stays on my spect- spectator for the rest of it. So. All right. Cool. All right. Let's let's, let's click. Yeah. Three, two, one, go. So. Now there's only three on my team, two on my team, one on my team. I'm the last person. Got him right where you want him, Kato. One. One. Get out of my way. This part is heartbreaking, and I'll explain why later. Two. Gonna come lane probably. Is it, do you have to like set these charges? Oh, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, you have to set the charge to win. I catch that last one with a pixel. So there's a their elbow was sticking out behind the box, and I know you can shoot through that box with the gun that I have, and I get nice. it, and it's really good. The second one there, um, if you don't know Valorant, it's hard to tell what's happening. That person jumped over the those boxes and did their ultimate towards me, which is a series of knives that kind of fan out, um, and they somehow clicked in a way where every single knife missed me. Like otherwise, I would have been dead. Ouch. I was, yeah. They they got the worst uh, roll on those knives, like well, it flying it, past me. Otherwise, person, it would have ended there. <laughs> um. Apart oh, from that, oh wow, though, okay, yeah, yeah. I did see the, like the little knife trail animation this yep, time. Watching yep, just slowly. totally fucked by What RNG. the fuck were they doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They have this power where like that that one character uh, has a has a like super high jump basically that is one of their abilities and then a dash so they jump over the little building there dash towards me and then try to throw their ultimate which is these knives and just completely whiff um i got super lucky but that was the that was the round that won it for us after they had beat us on the defense side we were i believe four to four to nine i think is the number that it ended up at the half before it swapped attack and defense. So it was a really, really close game. And it was really fun. Uh, I feel like their name is in here. This is... 
Uh, yeah, yes. Day two Nitten, which is the first person I kill in that clip. Uh, sorry about that. They were also in their ultimate, and uh, I just happened to get like the perfect angle on them. Um, shout outs, Nitten. That was a good game. <laughs> I'm sorry, I three v one clutched your team. Is is time to kill like really low in this game? Or are you just like getting headshots really really quickly here it's, too? It's I, was, low I was noticing that like, people were dropping like uh, bags of hammers. It, it it's both right. It's low, and I got a couple of headshots there that really made it extra fast. But um, in general, like you want one taps, like yeah, I I'm not good enough for one tap. So I tend to like hold for like two, three or four, which is when the recall gets out of control. Um, but yeah, I was just, I did not play the, the rest of that game that well, but for that one round, I had a really good round, which was fun. Um, nice. Uh, this new character, uh, that I mentioned last time. Also, I played I played her that uh, that blue uh, haired character that I killed early on um, has been really has been really fun to play and just like there are certain lanes that people don't check very often because it would take a long time for a normal person to make it up without making noise or even if someone's full running you can like hear them coming and then you check that that area with her like her speed is just like so much more than anyone else that you could i'm so people are still being surprised by the positions that you can get to and that's been really fun too so um valorant is a good video game still i think (laughs) um uh, when we uh launched waypoint plus and had that stream uh like after one of the days of streaming we like went down the street to uh or a couple blocks over me and, and rob to get dinner with uh jason emmanuel over at motherboard and like while waiting outside mm-hmm. uh so, like someone came up and was like cool man I just signed up for waypoint plus like, <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah thank you yeah that was seconds before a bartender refused to make my drink order wow they wrote i believe if i recall correctly not just refuse rolled rolled their eyes at at your order <laughs> what what was it I ordered a Mai Tai. It's a it's a basic tiki cocktail. Yeah. Does it involve eight ingredients? Yes. Mm. There are eight ingredients that a okay, bar should have well. in the summer. <laughs> Was that place exceptionally busy at the moment? Maybe. I did I did enjoy Jason's uh description of when he came back where he was like the person just like rolled their eyes at me and said, I can't make that. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I respect. I respect oh. the rejection. I respect the rejection. I mean, maybe they were yeah. out of one of those things. What? Are, what well, is and it? the thing is, they have a Rum. bar, but they're not a bar. That's the no, that's the real sure. issue too. Yeah. Is they're there like for they're, beers in the most basic of. Would you like right. vodka and a soda? Cool. We got it. We got it. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I, yeah, you know, I, I get optimistic. I'm like, here I am in the big city. <laughs> Uh, surely a place as sophisticated as Brooklyn, uh, w- would be able to make this, uh, tiki standard, but not, not for me. Uh, so let's see this week. I, um, it's been very rainy and foggy here. And so what better time to get back into, uh, playing, finishing up Alan Wake Ooh, than geez, this week. I've, I, I feel like we should have a segment. Okay. We're gonna do this going forward where I want you to do. A vague setup, yeah. Not like not too specific. You can drop some hints, but then oh, there needs what to game be. A, do you think I got back into? Yeah, yes. You need <laughs> yes. to give us. You like we need. Uh, okay. If, if yes. Someone in the audience, would you like to 
if you like to make a little jingle, maybe too mellow, if you're thinking, <laughs> of, you know, start doing some some brain thinking. Like, I want a, a moment where we stop and then as a group go, what? Okay, based on the information. You feel like you could have nailed Alan Wake. You think I, just, you I wanted a chance to. I you wanted know, a chance to do it like a little Northwest, Jeopardy. West. I feel like I could exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> feel like we could have gotten there as a group. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, so that's what that's what I've been playing uh, this past week. Been uh, having some. Are you it, playing the good, remaster like, or the uh, yeah yeah? Okay, uh, okay. Continue to play on like PlayStation Five. Nice. Um, it's like. We just went through like my favorite chapter in the game, uh, Truth, which is the one where Alan uh, Alan wakes up in the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Uh, he wakes up in the sort of bougie mental hospital that's in Bright Falls mm-hmm. uh, being run by Dr. Emil Hartman. And he kind of tries to gaslight you into thinking like all of this has been a dream. Uh, and really, you just need to get into some uh, need to get back to your work. You need to get back into doing your your writing therapy uh, and and creating for Hartman, who views himself as like he has no creative Im- impulses, uh, but he believes he'd be a pretty good producer. He could harness people with creative impulses and manipulate them into creating uh, a, a creative work. Uh, that fits his vision, but it opens there, which is a, a really strong location, really uh, like fun cast of characters, even if the level of self-reference is just absurd. Um, like one of the characters who's completely lost it at that place is, of course, the game designer um, who is so put upon by the experience of working on games that they have uh, become completely unmoored. Uh, then, of course, there's the. And this is sort of what sets up the chapter. You run into the rock musicians uh, who are members of the Poets of the Fall slash Old Gods of Asgard, uh, which is the band that pops up in Max Payne 2 and then in Control. Uh, but that whole chapter, like, I forgot. I always remember the, the, the hospital sequence always stuck out in my mind because, like, it's gorgeous um, and it's... It's really cool. It's sort of like it is where the game now finally reveals what's been going on for a lot of it. Mm -hmm. But then you have um, a really good sequence where once you escape, uh, you are trying to get to the uh, the 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 brothers Tor and Odin, who were who were those uh, musicians, um, have a farm. Uh, where they've kept all their like rock and roll shit, and through the power of rock and roll, you can you can drive back the darkness uh, in this game. But the entire thing is like it's it's one of those I have missed action games that have this arc where it's not very long, and it's not what's the way to put it? Um, it's not just raising the stakes by throwing enemies with more hit points and more like pattern recognition elements at you, like sort of sticking to here's how combat is in this game. Now we will just start letting you play around with like the more advanced weapons stuff that was like, once you want to shoot it once in a level. Now you'll just be like, like popping it off uh, like pistol <laughs> rounds, uh, stuff like that starts to come to the fore in this chapter. But I was, I was sort of struck like, and we, I think we talked about this a little bit last year, but like, I really enjoy this approach to shooter design and it feels like such a refreshing break to get back to something like break from the normal right now to go mm-hmm. back to something like this where like 
the logic of the level is really clear. Like, yeah, it's linear, but also at every turn, like you are reminded of the context for what you're doing and like where it is you're headed and everything has like a really strongly established sense of relative place. Uh, so like, I think there's a point in the level where like over your shoulder, you can, you can see the lodge being consumed by darkness. And then in the distance, you can see the, the farmhouse uh, that is the, the, that will be your safe haven. And it opens with like a really good pursuit sequence through the, through the hospital where because of the way the level starts, you are completely disarmed and you don't really have any of the gear uh, you need. Alan Wake always does that. You sort of reset to zero at the start of every chapter. Mm-hmm. But here it takes them a while to actually give you any good equipment. And you do just for extended periods of that level, you're probably better off booking it than trying <laughs> to fight it out. And that is a, that's a fun twist as well, because prior to this, usually you could, you could shoot it out and like win here. It's starting to play around with the idea that, yeah, maybe you're, maybe you're just going to get overwhelmed. Like this is a game about these forces of darkness taking over the world unless you stop them. And so like at various points, maybe the play is not to try to stand there and take on the entire world of zombies, uh, (laughs) you know, with, with just your character. And Having that escalate to then sort of the big action set piece, which playing it so soon after control, it's such a clear precursor in some ways to um, like the ashtray maze in control. Uh, I think it also, I feel like this comes after Left 4 Dead 2, where you have the, like the big climax uh, of one level being on a like rock and roll stage, like a county fair. Um, I can't remember yeah, which. This, I, this, I think this is after because I, I I remember that being like, oh, this, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I felt, oh, this feels like Left 4 Dead 2 yeah. <laughs> when I played it in Alan Wake. They're both great sequences, but they they, are. I, I, I believe Alan Wake comes after. Uh, and, and they're playing around some of the same stuff, right? Like the, uh, you know, the pyrotechnics being things that can sort of keep the enemies at bay, but also occasionally the equipment breaks down and you suddenly like lose the defensive advantage you have from like holding the stage. Uh, But like just, just that whole chapter is such a strong tour de force in like the, I don't know, marking sort of the end of the, uh, you know, second act of Alan Wake or the, or the beginning of the last act. Uh, and, and it's six just, months, six months apart, turns out. Oh, wow. So it was just something in the air. Just some, uh, yeah, just one, one of those things. Left 4 Dead 2 is November 2009. Alan Wake is May 2010. So just uh, <laughs> just one of those things. Well, game uh, a lot of a lot of game developers, especially of that era, did love them. Uh, some metal and glam rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not not surprised that people are like you know be awesome is like an old timey rock and roll show, uh, but like in a video game. But yeah, the whole sequence just kind of reminded me of how much I enjoy uh, shooters in this mold, and kind of how much I miss them as well. Where it's like, uh, at various points, they sort of show you the. You know, it's all very classic level design stuff of like you sort of give people the overview of like what they're going to be navigating in the next section and then you let them navigate it. Uh, but at the same time, that sort of construction 
and the effects that are possible within it and always making sure that like there are bounds on the experience and you know broadly where you are located within the level. Uh, I am so used to encounters just sort of petering out or having um, having to contemplate like almost MMO aggro radii in in them uh, in the concept of like open world shooters that going back to something like this was a real breath of fresh air. And I was sort of reminded of uh, like how much I miss this approach to building action games because it does feel like they're just aren't many that operate according to this. Like when I, when I think about like when have I had seen levels like this laid out, I could only think of like really last of us two is a game that like makes use of that stuff. But even there, it's more of like a, because that game is so enormous. It's kind of these really exhausting called shots of like, see that aquarium. You're going to, you're about to spend the next eight <laughs> hours of your life walking to this aquarium. Um, and, and it still doesn't necessarily always like pause and show you like what, roughly is the environment you're entering uh like last of us often is sort of dumb like for good effect dumping you in like claustrophobic spaces uh but but like just playing this i'm like this feels like a mode of controlling tension in a Mm -hmm. game uh that i just don't encounter very often um and it doesn't feel like I think it's very effective, right? I think it's one of those things that like, it's, it's clearly like kind of old fashioned, but I don't think it's like old fashioned way that's been superseded. Uh, it's just, it, it fell out of fashion because it doesn't fit sort of a, a dominant paradigm, but like playing it, I'm like, man, I, I fucking miss shooters like this, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you still see a lot of Alan Wake and control, you know, mm-hmm. like there is just a, there is a, st- a mode like a feel that is consistent across Max Payne, Alan Wake control that they have altered and, and changed depending on like the context the games are are falling into, but they're like, they've never quite shaken that clearly on purpose. Um, That's like kind of like a legacy item for how they design things, which, which makes me all the more curious of like, you know, the little we know about Alan Wake two and taking a, you know, survival, you know, horror sort of direction. Okay, well, what does that, what does that mean? Alan Wake is not a game where you're sweating how right. many bullets you have. You know, it's a game where you're, mm-hmm. you're. It's it's more about uh, swarm and and like there is management systems, like things you're dealing with, but it's not it's not so much about like I hope I have enough shotgun shells. Um, and that makes me very curious. Where yeah. the moment you start invoking survival horror, well, you're implying that oh, I'm going to start worrying about the shotgun shells or some something in that direction. It, and might, that- it might even end up pushing more that, that feeling that Rob was saying about sometimes maybe the best option is to run, right? Mm-hmm. If you're running low on ammo and there's a path forward that require is more stealthy or just like you can mitigate the people coming at you in some way, right? That's another way to look at the, the, the possibilities they could, they could do that already lend themselves to like some of the things they did in Alan Wake one. Yeah, I uh, I think to some of those points, I do feel like Alan Wake, even that first one, even though I don't really land the like, it's going to be pretty scary. I think one of the reasons they don't land it is because it feels like a game that's very gun shy about (laughs) limiting your access to guns. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. in that last stage of the game, they just begin showering you with 
all the weapons. And there's probably a few places where the tension would probably be significantly higher if they weren't steadily like injecting you with <laughs> the most powerful tools in the game. And so you're yeah, saying it's a survival. So you're saying it's a survival horror game, which is they all break down along these same lines. Right. Yes, there's like you like these games. I think not a game designer, but like having played enough of them, it's like at a certain point they you lose track of what the player's doing. Right, like yeah. there's a certain as the player climbs the mountain of a game that is like has limited resources or is playing in like the horror space, you can like, Oh, we, we know they only have this have been granted access to Y and they really could have only reasonably used Z resources. But then you reach a certain point with games of a certain length where that's just no longer possible. And yeah. uh, I think that's where they all kind of yeah. end up falling I mean, granted, all horror uh, trends toward action. That is just the mode horror as a genre operates in. Um, but but I think that goes hand in hand with the fact that designers essentially have to kind of throw their hands up because they can't yeah. account for w- what players have and haven't done. So they have, kind of have to go, oh. Well, I it probably gets so much worse just accounting for play styles too, right? Where right, like, right, I mean, I right. am somebody who tends to hoard the good gear to the point where like, I will hit the mid stages of a game and I just have like ridiculous amounts of like the top stuff because I'm yeah. afraid to use it where I'm like, I just, uh, you know, I can get this guy with a pistol. I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend a sniper shot to, to get this character. I'm not going to use, uh, you know, the grenade launcher to take this character down, even though there's probably a designer somewhere being like, and then they'll use the grenade launcher a bunch in this sequence. <laughs> and then there won't be any more rounds for it. I'll be like, no, I'll carry the grenade launcher through the rest of the game, waiting for the moment to use it. And then at the end of the game, I'll be like, wow, I never did much of that grenade launcher. Um, but yeah, so I've been, I've been playing that, that a bunch. Uh, it's been, it, it, it's suited the week uh, very, very well. Uh, but that's, that's about all I've been playing. I got started on a text parser game uh, called Anchorhead. I think talked about it a little bit, uh, but I'm still like not sure I'm gonna stick with it. Uh, it's it's one of those games that I've seen cited a lot as a great work of interactive fiction. Um, also, like sort of a classic in the space. I'm enjoying it, but also like man, text adventure. It's a it's a hell of a lift. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you really you really sure. got to you got to really carry a lot on your shoulders uh, to sort of make the game go and repeating steps or like experimenting. It gets uh, maybe borderline excruciating in places, <laughs> uh, but again, like a, a decent thing to uh, t- to sort of play on my laptop uh, in, in between tasks. Uh, anything else I wanted to bring up here before we call it a die? Uh, I can save Halo for monday i beat that but i can save my closing thoughts till till next week but let the record show i did i i uh, i I have i finished well no i did not finish the fight fight. (laughs) the fight is not finished at the end of that game whoops (laughs) spoilers (laughs) oh oh yeah they're gonna make it they're gonna make more halo whoops sorry i bleeped that part out kato um i also have a, a pending thing i started echoes of the eye which i'm already enamored mm. with but we'll talk when yeah play, play, play more of that yeah. this weekend and let's we can we can revisit my yeah my thoughts on that uh next week 
All right. So that's a wrap on today's episode of Waypoint Radio. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint, on Facebook and YouTube at Waypoint Vice. You can follow me at Rob Zachney on Twitter. Patrick, where can people follow you? At Patrick Klepek. Kato. At A underscore Kato underscore appears. You can also check out what we published on waypoint.vice.com. We published a piece initially uh, around the merger announcement. Patrick and I published a piece sort of uh, covering some of the similar ground to what we discussed today on the pod. Uh, And then I am cracking up at this goofus and gallant ass pair of of headlines (laughs) on the site right now. Most game developers are not interested in NFTs and crypto. Game developers are more interested in unions than ever. Uh, it is which way, Western Beautiful. man? Um, also, I like. I don't know if you got to. I see going around Twitter that somewhere somebody po- like tried to did a push poll uh, where describing like half of gamers love the NFTs and just really want to take part in the NFT market, and then mm. the entire poll was conducted in like an NFT games group or something. <laughs> Uh, and even there, it's like fifty wow, percent of people like, eh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that that definitely kind of cracked me up. Uh, for our Waypoint Plus listeners, last week we published a podcast on Matrix Resurrections, and this week we are recording an episode of Manhunting on the cult hit crime epic Crime Story. And it turns out we've done such a good job manhunting that we found and captured special guest and diehard Crime Story superfan Jeff Green. Uh, If that sounds good, or if you just want more Waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Not only do you get access to our premium feed, but you're also helping support Waypoint and especially Waypoint streams, such as the thrilling conclusion, question mark, question mark, to House of Ashes, uh, which should be airing maybe as you as you were downloading this, uh, but we're we're going to be playing it on Friday if all goes according to plan. Uh, so once again, that's waypointplus.com. Our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Learn more at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. That's us calling it a week. We will talk to you next week. Until then, fuck capitalism. Go home. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, so, no, when my mom was a student teacher, uh, that's when some of this, like, TV stuff was coming in. And she remembered, like, oh, it's, like, cute. They do, like, a little morning newscast on the, uh, on the uh, you know, TVs at the school. But you know what's weird? Hmm. is the fact that they run national advertising during what uh but like the kids are reading the ad copy they're like doing ad breaks and it was like four what um i want to say uh like kicks cereal was running like a get your kicks on route 66 like jingle marketing campaign and like the kids are reading ad copy in support of that and she was like i like 
is this a mock-up or is like somehow the school being paid by like yeah. kicks? Are we receiving ad dollars right now? What's going on? That is weird. I don't That's I don't wild. have any memory of that. Not, not it could have happened. It wouldn't be shocking if I didn't process that information, but Rob Zachney did. That seems <laughs> that tracks with everything right. I I know about the two of us. It's like it could have happened, who knows? Uh <laughs> Uh, I watched yeah, that so, Channel One. One of one of the the anchors of Channel One went on to become like an actual like left the orbit. Um, wow! To become oh an astronaut. <laughs> At least they don't leave orbit anymore. How do I? <laughs> Channel One reporters, anchor alumni, uh, Anderson Cooper. Wow. Lisa Ling. Lisa Ling was the one I was thinking of, though. Does anyone remember Lisa Ling? No. no. Um, I will capture. I did the anchoring thing once and was not about it, but I loved being behind the scenes and p- pressing the little uh little plunge lever. Well, you know that was that the, was always the, like the ecosystem of those little like school programs, right? It's yeah. like the speech kids wanted to be the casters. Yep, <laughs> and the AV kids were production and tech. That uh, was me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, there are comments at the bottom of this Channel One anchor alumni. Oh yeah, where is Brian Kilmeade? What Kilmeade? This Kilmeade? was he Lisa Ling was on he CNN. On... Was he on Channel One? He began his career as a correspondent on Channel One News, a daily national high school television news program. Wow. Oh. Because I think, is it, didn't Lisa Ling turn into a conservative, too? <laughs> correct. I don't know who Lisa Ling... Let me look up Lisa Ling. I mean, she's on CNN, so it can't be that far, right? I'm not saying... I'm saying that far. Far, but not that far. No, I, yeah, I, I, I know what you're making. <laughs> I, I don't know. know. When is the last time you sat having your tires rotated watching CNN and like just had to sit there for a full hour and be like, wow, this is actually... It pretends to be middle of the road, but it's super not. <laughs> Lisa Ling issues, quote, regret statement about her husband's hashtag Democratic whores comment. Updated. <laughs> what? See, if she was right wing, she wouldn't have had to apologize. Uh, well, <laughs> this quote, uh, I guess this is from Lisa Ling's husband. Now, Secretary... Clinton has said that Medicare for all will never happen. Oh, wait, hold on. No. Uh, what is this? <laughs> I'm trying to read this article. Uh, da, da, da. Oh, he, yeah, okay. I guess he was a Bernie supporter. Maybe Lisa Ling is not uh, right wing. I don't know. Right? <laughs> uh, but the comments of this Channel One alumni thing is a lot of people asking, where is Brian from Fox? <laughs> like, why is it he listed here? Ah. Too far for, ah. for for Channel One News to. We just erasing his. Well, he was never uh-huh. here. I never heard of him. Yeah, no. who? Mm-hmm. Brian, who? Brian, we didn't give him Brian? the start. Brian? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, five seconds? No. Because I, I opened a time.is and then closed it. <laughs> <laughs> 10 uh, seconds? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Patrick well, did the Dead my, Island thing and like went forward in time and then backward in time within the same, you know, right. like, cl- open Which time I that is the same, and closed time that is. I have the same ruthless efficiency to my email inbox as I have to tabs. I Like, I don't, this oh. is like 30, 40, 50 tab nonsense. God, like, I don't know how many tabs I have currently open. 
get out of here. That's like, how many tabs clean, I have currently open. Is like clean up your living room. In like, theory, you know what? Look, here's you know what I realized. What? I miss like home pages and like having a bunch of bookmarks for like the hmm. stuff that like I want to visit that site and see what they're up to. I, that used to be how I browsed, and now I don't. It's called. It's, having a little it, it, look. One of my uh, I the favorites, you know, like the little pin tabs uh, uh-huh. that I have in Chrome. One of those is Feedly. You know what? RSS still lives, baby. Oh like, yeah, dude, no. Dude. So, uh, but I thought so. I have a fucked up relationship with RSS. I like I got Feedly, and then I delved too deep. Mm. I was like, Feedly's going to make it so that I never miss an interesting article. <laughs> There's so many interesting articles, There's dude. A lot of articles. So it's many. You so gotta many. just hit Shift A. <laughs> Yep, that's that's read all. Uh-huh. Um, and between looking at those headlines and Twitter, I feel like I get I get I get enough of what I need. To, God. So as to a get. Twitter user, I predate bookmarks, and so likes are how I bookmark things. And I keep oh, waiting right. for somebody to be like, "These are some pretty suspect likes, Mister Zachney." <laughs> and I'll be like, uh, I, "I'm sorry, I wasn't endorsing that Matt Iglesias piece. I just like bookmarked it." three years ago so I could read it at some point and I still haven't but it seemed it seemed interestingly contrarian uh, oh meanwhile my in my bookmarks tab literally the only bookmark I've ever done on Twitter is alpacas being disturbed and curious about a hedgehog in their midst <laughs> there are bu- what? There are, there are bookmarks on Twitter? yeah see? yes yeah yeah you click the little buttons and uh... there's like a Bookmarks I don't know what I would sweet. use that for. But who uses bookmarks when liking is so seamless? Who you who goes back and looks at their likes? I do for bookmarks, Kato. <laughs> it's a really That's... good like reading list. Like going back to my likes, it's like, damn, look at all these interesting things I didn't read in the last four years. I guess this uh, this bookmarks thing would be I could see it being used like frequently when I'm researching a story, I'm like often bounce between Twitter accounts and like things yeah. people have observed. I could actually see bookmarks being useful for that rather than having like 15 Twitter links in a notes app where I don't know what any right. of the, tw- tw- the any of the tweets mean. <laughs> so like, well, I guess time to open f- f- 15 of these to see right. the one I was, I was looking for. Maybe I just learned something. Yeah. Great. Also yeah. Evernote web clips. Pretty good too. Just saying. <laughs> Has Evernote paid us yet? I feel like we need to reach uh, out. <laughs> I'm not sure they have money to pay people. We'll see. We'll see what the future holds for Evernote. Uh, all right. Good. Good warm up. Uh, let me just make sure it's 4:55. Is it 4:55? It is. Waypoint dot All right. Is waypoint up? Uh, I didn't have it open, but it is. It is. Yes. 4:55. Right. 